Welcome to the Love Good Podcast brought to you by our patrons. This is Jimmy Mitchell, your host. Join me each week as I sit down with artists and thought leaders to chat about music, culture, and what we call the art of being human. You see, Love Good's more than a subscription company, all right? We're a movement of everyday folks like you and me who are letting beauty break through the noise so it can transform our culture from the inside out. Thanks for joining me this week. I'm so pumped you're here. All right, full disclosure, Dr. Ryan Hanning and I recorded this conversation several months ago. In fact, I was a few days away from moving from Nashville to Tampa, and we were basically sitting down to record several back-to-back episodes that were going to, you know, eventually trickle out throughout this entire season. Here's what's crazy. We end up talking about social virtues today right? The the kind of virtues that allow any society to thrive, like first and foremost on the level of the family, and then beyond that community. And then we can start talking about, you know, really cities and eventually entire countries where there's a sense of culture, right? These social virtues are what bind us. Virtues like compassion, right? And so much more. And what's interesting is today is in fact election day. If you're listening to this episode on the day it's releasing, uh, it's Tuesday, November 3rd, all right? Season four, episode 15. I'm just going to assume that there's there's no coincidence here. This is providence and hopefully a beautiful reminder for all of us to seek unity, to seek healing and reconciliation during what has been easily the most exhausting presidential election cycle in recent history, maybe American history, period. It's time to accept the results, whatever they are. I mean, even as I'm recording this, I don't know what the results are, but to do so with grace and to move forward with some sense of what it still means to be American and most importantly, what it still means to be human. So we dive into it today as we always do with Dr. Ryan Hanning. I cannot wait for this conversation to unfold and stay tuned because at the very end, I'm announcing a very exciting virtual event that's coming up in just a few weeks with Jason Craig. Remember that guy who was with us this past summer doing a bonus series on orthodoxy? Well, we're bringing him back and it's going to be live and it's going to be an event with Jason and I. All the details are coming at the end of the episode, but for now, sit tight. I'll be back with Dr. Ryan Hanning in just a moment. In the meantime, enjoy this beautiful song, from many, many moons ago. It's called Even Saying This. It comes off of the 2009 release from Colleen McCarran. All right, now Colleen Nixon, but on Spotify, it still comes up as Colleen McCarran. The album is called Love Is In The Details. Again, the song is Even Saying This. Three weeks until we meet again. St. George will hold our thoughts on everything. Oh my, why am I even saying this?
Dr. Ryan Hanning, welcome back. Let's do it. Yeah, I'm excited. A lot's happened. I mean- Crazy times. Let's be real. Like election, life, a book that's come out. I live in Tampa now. This is nuts. This is- it kind of, kind of feels surreal, but the entire last year has felt surreal. So yeah, it's just sort of just, more par for the course. I have to say, every time I like, I grab onto something too too tight, you know, I'm just reminded again and again, like nothing is certain except for the love of God. Yep. Everything else, you just kind of have to hold on to loosely. Yeah, isn't that beautiful? Like, well, Jesus says this, right? You want to, wanna, you know, if you if you hold on too tightly, you lose it. Or That's if right. you let go, you, you gain it. Right? It doesn't mean to to give up. It means to recognize, you know, that God is in control and yeah. to participate with it as opposed to try to do it your own way. That's right. Or as try to just give up and curl up in a ball. Yeah. And I think the giving up and curling up in a ball is about half, about how half of our country feels right now. Yeah. You know, would be my guess. But here's what I would like to know long before we, we dive into social virtues, which might actually kind of reunite us in a moment like this, which by the way, we really don't know the outcome of this election. We're having this conversation months in advance but aware that it's probably getting a little crazy yeah. uh, and probably feels a little bit like a time of continued confusion and despair for at least half the country. Yeah. Go find a stranger and hug them. I Just know. make sure you're wearing a mask. I'm not sure, I'm not sure where we'll be. We Just don't depends. know. <laughs> there could be a vaccine. Could be. They we'll might see. have found once and for all the masks don't actually help, but I think I think they help, right? Yeah, I mean, well, it is odd. Them. I mean, you go into a grocery store and you, you know, one half of the people look like surgeons, the other half look like they're robbing the place. I mean, it's a really but unique I mean, thing. Come on, this is a cool mask. That's a cool mask. I got I got to admit, it's I like it. It's almost as cool as yours. Yeah, you know, I, I've gone with this one just because this is like the least muffly one. Um, I wear I wear one that my wife made for all of us when we go to mass and whatnot. Nice. And this thing is like a HEPA filter for your face. Yeah, wow. I mean, wow. I like this. If anything gets through this thing besides like just pure air, yeah, I'd be surprised. <laughs> I mean, like the earth smells sweeter through that mask. I'm telling you, um, that's amazing. You know, like I, yeah. after mass, if there's incense, like you know, the outside of the mask, like take oh. hey, filter. You can still, you know, that's a good mask when you can't smell the incense through your yes. mask. You know your mask is probably that working is too well. Crazy, but, yeah. interesting. Never thought of that. Maybe you can just soak in some of that from the outside of the mask, and then maybe eventually just reverse it. Maybe it's probably very ineffective <laughs> probably for uh, keeping out germs. But yeah, you know, I think I think incense kills kills corona. I've heard that. Uh, the 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 yeah, incense does. Yeah, I think incense. I think does. that's incense and bourbon. True. Those, yeah. those, those, incense <laughs> and bourbon. And according to my pastor, exorcism oil. I oh. mean, you just back off, man. He Damn. ain't messing around. He's got it, and he's got it locked and loaded. So. Before we jump into social virtues, which will be really fun, we're going to talk about, as you put in these virtues that perfect who we are in relation to others, which right now is maybe really necessary, mm -hmm. really relevant. I'm actually just curious because I haven't asked in a while, Ryan, what music are you listening yeah. to? What kind of books are you reading? That's so much of what Love Good is about, obviously. And you're one of our like longest standing, most committed patrons, which just like very humbling, warms the heart. But also, you've got far beyond the world of love good, plenty of media that you're, I'm sure, aware of, mm -hmm. even consuming. I hate that word, consuming. Leisuring with. Yeah, inculcating, right? imbibing, yes. savoring. Yes. Yeah, uh, so, yeah, what's the latest? Yeah, great question. So, I have been absolutely hooked on instrumental music lately. Nice. Like, and part of this because of the process of writing and some of what I have to do, like, I need some not reprieve, yeah, reprieve yeah. from, and partly is, is, you know, is, is good lyrical music actually demands your attention. Mm. So like, it's great. If you ever notice that you can put on a pop song and do your work with no problem because you don't have to really pay attention to the lyrics, <laughs> right? True. You know, and that's not a bad thing. It's just a, that's sort of more towards escape as opposed to authentic leisure. So I've been like super geeking out on cello music lately. Nice. And I mean like, 
I've been like so geeking out. I'm actually finding all my old favorite songs. Like I have listened to more cello versions of Simon and Garfunkel in the last like two months than ever before. You find this on YouTube? Spotify? Yeah, YouTube, Spotify, all those things. And then this other thing that I found is I found a guy who does orchestral, like big orchestra, like big orchestra arrangements of uh, Alan Walker songs, like wow. and musical scores. So like I've been on this huge instrumental kick of like really uplifting like Hans Zimmer stuff like <laughs> that I can just work to without having to do anything but appreciate the beauty. Yeah, so that, yeah. that's where I've been, you know, for the last like few months. Surprisingly too, actually, the kids are, are still, we're all still sort of, Judah and the Lion has not worn out on us. Is that the pep talks? The pep talks has not worn out. Yeah, I know it's really good. Part of this is because, you know, we, part of our daily routine involves driving up, not not far, it's like one song. This is like just a tradition now. This we, one song always pops so on when you're- One song, yeah, we're, we're driving up, we're going to our, our, our pastor to move move the cattle and water the animals. And, you know, we got to get like, like at least one Jude and the Lion can song. I, can I ask which one? Or oh, is it just the rotation? It's the rotation. Nice. Through, yeah. It's also a long album. It is. 17 tracks later. I mean, there's plenty to uh, take in there. It is. Know? It's great. It's a, you know, the kids love it. <laughs> we, we've, I thought that kick would be over by now, but that one is, is pervasive. It's like, we're talking a year and a half almost. It is. That, that thing has stayed. My two nephews are obsessed with Don't Mess With My Mama. Oh, yeah. And my sister, their mother, is obsessed that they're obsessed because it's just like an anthem for their mom. And they like... They're like three and six years old, maybe four and six year old, years old at the timing of this release. And they're just like fist pumping the whole way through and they are screaming their heads off and they're just loving it. And of course, my sister's loving it. There's something really anthemic about that album. Yeah, isn't it beautiful? You know, yeah, start to finish. It's really, really, it's really narrative too. Yeah, I, I love it. It is. And I would just name drop real quick. Everybody's got to find this guy. The guy named by, by the name of Peter Bentz. Bentz. Yeah. And he's a, a pianist that uses the piano both traditionally and as a percussive instrument. Yeah. And he uses a looper. And so he does new arrangements on the piano of like pretty much tons of old pop music and his other like musical scores and whatnot. But his arrangements are wow. off the charts. And he has pretty good number of views, but not near enough that he should have. Like he does a, a rendition of Beat It on the piano <laughs> where he uses, literally uses a, a bass drum kick that's mounted to hit the back of the piano. Wow. And so the entire drum beat is brought through by his foot using his percussive instrument. And then he actually marks the strings. So he actually stands up on the piano while he's playing and plucks them. So cool. In a way that, anyway, so I'm, I'm obsessed. And he's and, using uh, like a loop pedal. So it just keeps building off of he itself. He will for some of them. Yeah. Whoa. Some of them he does full, just straight piano. And he does classical songs too. So he has rewritten and remastered wow. some of the classical songs. So yeah. you can like get like Vivaldi and Beethoven in a new way and just super creative. And I thought only Ed Sheeran used the loop pedal, even, even concert pianists out there. Yeah. He, and he uses it super creative. That is amazing. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm, I love it. Peter okay. Benson's, I'm all about, How about that? that right now. Yeah. That's what I've been into. And, and reading right now, truthfully, lots and lots and lots of articles and then rediscovering my love for like what I would call like the agrarian canon, like mm. those central seminal texts that got me really interested in being in right relation with the land. So, so like, rereading, you know, my my extensive collection of Wendell Berry and, and others. And then because of my writing, I had the occasion to read a lot of Chesterton and Bullock. Yeah. And so I had a few articles out from Porch Republic and elsewhere. So like, you know, that and then Hearth and Field, we got a, a, a big agrarian journal that's going to launch on the Feast of the Assumption and just tons of stuff writing. So that gives me the opportunity just to re-enter into all these books. So I've been rereading. That's what I've been doing. It's amazing. And yeah. for those who are hearing about that for the first time, it obviously would have launched a few months ago. 
And then right. the best way though, for people to find out about it or or to subscribe or to get their hands on it is to just go to the website. Yeah, Hearth and Field. And it's just, it's just a- Your tagline is amazing, even though it's like not yours. You said you kind of adopted it from somebody else. Remember, it's like- what is it now? After now, you put me on the spot. I know. But, I was so impressed. You know, I was like, this sounds amazing. We have a few, you know, sort of taglines that describe the work that we do. But really, what we want to do is, you know, for both the city dweller, the homesteader, and the farmer, yes, you know, to rediscover the transcendent and the imminent, right? To rediscover the beauty and the mundane. I love it. And so we can do that talking about, you know, why raise chickens, to how to preserve food, to, you know, even more practical things like, you know, how do you how do you pick what gas you put in your car, right? I mean, so anyways. Low culture all the way to high culture. Yep. And I think that's like something we forget. Like this is really, uh, culture is something that is constantly around. Yep. Our, I mean, it's, it, it's a constant reality of our lives. It's the sum total of the environment in which we make the central decisions of what we believe it means to be human. Yeah, yeah. Right? And so, yeah, it's not really passive. You're either forming culture or you're letting the outside culture, and even if it's sort of just form general you. form you, right? Yeah, well said. And the outside culture primarily is one that doesn't have a coherent view of the person. Yeah. And typically is motivated by getting people to consume stuff. Yeah. And, you know, it, and again, it's not bad. It's just insufficient. That's yeah. all. So. It's, it's almost like you could sum up so much of the world's approach to virtue with just economics, you know, yeah. which, I, which I think is really helpful thinking about like social virtues or social justice are sometimes like very much put up against economics yeah. or it's put up against fill in the blank, even just the joy of the gospel. Like sometimes we we turn social justice into pure philanthropy. And right now, I mean, just thinking about how you just, you defined it for me before we begin this conversation, that social justice perfect who we are in relation to others. Like that's exactly what could really heal our divided country. It's what could heal divided homes. It's so not talked about enough. And I can't wait to hear a little bit more about these core social yeah. virtues, as you call them, of our times. Something we've been reflecting on a ton, both in, in anticipation for the book and then just really re-encountering like the agrarian canon of like what it means to be in right relation with God, with each other and with the land, like has led some deep reflection. Like, what am I teaching my kids? Like, mm. especially in this moment of such social anxiety and such angst and where people are looking for political solutions to really human problems. You know, and the truth is, is that politics are always meant to, to alleviate and approach the social ills of the time. That's, that's one of the responsibilities of politics. But they do, don't do that disjointed from the community. So I've been all about you know, diving into the social virtues. So let me just give you a quick, like 10,000 foot overview. And then we're going to go right down to like, you know, tires on the road, soles of the feet on the ground, like Love what it. we need to do. So if, if you think about virtue, right? Virtue is a habitual disposition towards the good. It's about human excellence, right? It's about living in accord with the nature of who we are. Well, classically, the virtues are divided into you know, the theological virtues and the cardinal virtues. And that gives you the, the classical canon of the seven. The seven that existed both in the ancient world and Judaism in various renditions in Greek and Roman philosophy and then baptized within Christianity as well. So, Faith, hope, and love are, are, are virtues properly understood, but they're theological virtues. They're infused by God's grace into our heart. They're free gifts that we receive and we open, that we participate with in a really specific way. The other virtues properly understood are human virtues. They, they require work. God can and has and will infuse those virtues in us, but St. Thomas Aquinas is quick to say, when God infuses the nature of prudence, 
It's actually a different, by nature, a different thing than when you develop prudence through practice. Mm. So while God can infuse us with any of the human virtues, his preferences is that we, we grow in those virtues by practicing them. Just like his, his preference, if we want to become a great pianist, is, is not just to be infused with that power, but to practice over time. I mean, you know, how blistered have your fingers been as you prepare or, you know, or, or, or develop a new piece or practice it, right? Mm-hmm. The idea that, that, that anything worth doing is worth doing well. And so the human virtues then, we typically talk about the cardinal virtues of, of prudence, justice, you know, temperance, and fortitude, but there are other virtues as well. So let me just briefly say that, that Aristotle and Aquinas lay all this out. And, and you can go and read, read the Nicomachean Ethics or the Summa and uh, achieve two things. One, it's a cure for insomnia. Um, unless, unless you've been guided through these texts, you know, I encourage everyone to read them, but, but to recognize they're written in a style that might be very foreign to you. But two, they're very clear and they provide some really practical advice. And so, you know, for Aristotle, he started to articulate the virtues by what their outcomes were. And he dedicates this entire chapter, chapter four, specifically to those virtues that he says that perfect human behavior in relationship to others. Mm. And, and he points out that, that these virtues are unique because they're reciprocal. So in other words, the, the more that we develop the virtue and exercise it in society, the more society recognizes and supports and endears that virtue in us. Mm. So this is really sort of neat sort of you know, feedback that can happen. So if, if, if the basic virtues that we all want in terms of prudence, right? Making wise decisions, right? Decision-making, temperance, self-control, being able to, to say no, to the bad and yes to the good, uh, a proper understanding of, of justice, desiring the, you know what, the common good for others and communicating it appropriately, and then you know, fortitude, the idea of, of audacity to, to be able to initiate and to persevere. While those are the, the, the hinge virtues, there's other virtues that are much more social in nature. So I wanna walk through those virtues real quick. So Aristotle identifies generosity and he talks about the, the type of person who is, and he calls them liberal. He says, the person who is liberal with their wealth and their gifts and their talents. Mm. We would call them generous. Mm-hmm. Uh, a person who, who knows who they are and wants to bring that in service to others. So he named generosity, magnificence, which is different from generosity. Magnificence is, is debated, but he says magnificence is when a person of great wealth does worthy things with their wealth. Hmm. And he's thinking of like big projects. There's no small feat, right? So we might think of this as like, like really, like maybe we think of it like philanthropy, you know, like the real, real loving gift to some really good outcome. The, right? the building of the Nashville Symphony by Martha Rivers Ingram. Exactly. You know? you know, that type of stuff. Yeah. Um, we can think of the person who designed Central Park in New York. That's what he said. He said, you know, a dream for no small ambitions for they do not stir a man's heart, right? Mm. So this idea of magnificence. Then you talk about magnanimity, right? This, this idea of great hardness or great soldness. And he talked about honor, this desire to, do what is right because you know your own worth and own value and that you would see that in others. And then he talked about these sort of three unnamed virtues. The first he named gentleness, but he said that's not quite right. And gentleness is about being good-tempered and willing to forgive. And then he talked about quick-wittedness, which is almost like a sense of humor that you know how to leisure and you know how to Hmm. help people recognize the good in things. And then he talked about modesty, a healthy desire to be respected and respect the sensitivities of others. Now, he provides those that sort of list these social virtues, but I think they're incomplete. And so far be it for me to disagree with Aristotle, but, but Aquinas does as well. I mean, right, they're, they're, these, are, these are good, but we can be more precise about, especially in light of what Christ has revealed. So 
one of the ways that they're incomplete is that if the social virtues are about how we come to perfect who we're called to be in relationship with those around us, then one of the, the most endearing teachings of Christ himself that is on no list of virtues in any of the ancient world. In fact, in the ancient world, in all the list of virtues and all the list of vices, you always find compassion in the list of vices. Because hmm. in the ancient world, they saw compassion. And even that word itself, it means, it means too much or an excess of passion. And Jesus says, no, Jesus comes and he describes again and again in parable and in direct teaching the, the compassion of God and our call to have compassion. We hear it in the, in the Samaritan. We hear it in the prodigal son. You know, we hear it in Christ's own ministry to reconcile the world you know, to himself so they can be in right relationship with God. So this idea of compassion is a uniquely social virtue and a uniquely Christian virtue. Christ reveals to us that all humans are motivated and need to develop this incredible capacity that the human heart has for compassion. I'll share with you one, one thing about this. I, I always think it's really amazing. They did a study, a very good study, and they essentially put small children in situations where they're capable of helping people to see whether or not they helped. And the question is, is, is a human person naturally altruistic? Even if there's no chance of gain for themselves, will they help? And in every situation, yes. Hmm. Every situation they'll help. There was a, a recent study that looked at over a thousand closed circuit TV examples of crime. And 95% of the time, bystanders intervened. Mm. which goes against all the data previously that said most people wouldn't intervene. But when they actually look hard at the data, find out that people actually are motivated by compassion. They want to have empathy, but it can't just be pity. It can't just be feeling sorry. It's got to move beyond that to authentic action. Totally. So the first social virtue I want to talk about is, is compassion, sharing one another's joys and sufferings. Because that's honestly the understanding that I have of that word compassion. I think of co with passion, mm -hmm. suffer actually is where my yeah, mind I mean, goes. With, yeah, to suffer with. Yeah. Which I've always loved from a very cr Christian perspective. I mean, that's that's about as right at the heart of the gospel as you get, you know, to be willing to suffer with Christ, mm -hmm. to suffer with others. And yet it is a word that gets thrown around a lot, yeah. you know, and I would assume in most of my cases, especially growing up, you know, even in a private school in Atlanta, going off to Vanderbilt in college, it always felt a bit empty. There, yeah. there wasn't a real sense of compassion that moved beyond this kind of good feeling towards mm -hmm. others and this willingness to to serve them, but in, in kind of a, a, out of a place of real pity. You yeah, know, so, so there's 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 this common misunderstanding. I think that compassion is motivated by a desire that we want to feel good about ourselves when we help others. Right. And that's a really diminished view of compassion. Compassion is that motivation. This is why it's a virtue. You have to develop it. Mm. It's something that we all aspire to, we're all attracted to, but that not all of us have. It's like any of the other virtues. You, we need to develop it through the habitual practice by choosing to do it. The excess and deficiency of compassion, you are helpful to sort of to, to show that. I mean, the deficiency of compassion would be apathy. Mm. All right, we just don't care. You, you, know, you don't care at all, right? You know, where you might say it's, it's not my problem. The, the other side, the other excess would be this, this sort of typical male desire to solve the problem without even you know, dialoguing with the person you're serving. Right. And this would be activism, mm -hmm. right? Or blind activism. And so true compassion then is, is this mean, is the, you know, is, is the beautiful middle road in between the excess and deficiency that says, no, I'm going to see the person and because of the dignity of the person, I'm going to suffer with them well. Mm. And this is even thinking back to 
the horrific murder of George Floyd mm-hmm. and all the social unrest that followed that, what you often saw was apathy or activism. You yeah. know, there wasn't a, a whole lot of people willing to just first and foremost suffer with. It was kind of amazingly providential because we did our 12 week live stream series. Yeah. And right in the midst of that, we had our principal on suffering. That was literally the Thursday after things just kind of blew up. And suddenly there were riots and suddenly there was looting and just an incredible sense of instability across most American cities. At that point, statues weren't you know being quite mm-hmm. tumbled down yet. But what I kept seeing was this, ah, this sort of like, ah, no, like systematic racism. That's that's not really a thing. Let's let's stop having that conversation. And, and meanwhile, there was no real conversation yep. with with people whose plight needed to be listened to, you know, whose stories needed to be heard. On the other end, there was just this, well, exactly what we saw in the news, mm-hmm. the, the burning down of, of monuments and in some cases churches and mm-hmm. are, are some of our most beloved cities. Yep. It's an amazing thing when compassion begins with a willingness to be with and to suffer with. Mm-hmm. And in some cases, like simply dignify human suffering by yeah. uniting it with the cross. Yep. And of course, with that comes the the potential for redemption. On this deep theology about redemptive suffering too. I mean, the, the reality that, that in Colossians says, you know, we make up, you know, some of some of, some of what, what Christ's suffering did on the cross, right? That mm. we actually participated in a real redemptive way yeah. for our own benefit and the benefit of others. So, you know, top of the social virtues for me is this real proper understanding of compassion. And this is also like, the first virtue of your book. It is. This is where we, you start. We we didn't start with the cardinal virtues. We we follow quickly, but we felt one of the unique aspects of the Christian proclamation is specifically God's love for us. This this abiding, unending, unconditional love. God does not look at us as as a philanthropist say looks at a person that they pity. Mm. Right. God looks at us with a father's heart. He looks at us as his beloved sons and daughters who have forgotten who we are. He's motivated by compassion, which is, which is different. God doesn't see us as a problem to be solved. God sees us as, as a person that needs to be reminded and reinvited mm. to become who they are. Mm-hmm. It's a very different thing. And so this is central to, to Christian theology. And so we wanted the compassion to be that first one. And it's really the first of the social virtues. And, and it leads to civility. It leads to authentic dialogue. It leads to a, a real desire to, to know where the other person's from and to try to see their their side. It, it, it stops some of the, the prejudgment and, and can move us towards more authentic judgment where we can evaluate people's acts and approaches and try to address those approaches that 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 are in discord or that are incompatible with full human flourishing. Right. So compassion really has become, really should be the base of our, our how we see to perfect ourselves in relationship to others, it really that's like the first virtue mm. is, is by really practicing compassion. But as you said, it can be misguided mm-hmm. real quickly towards this, this apathy or denial or this sort of you know, activism and, and and just trying to do something without actually really accompanying people or entering into that suffering. Like classic example at the moment is you know this whole desire to rename the Washington Redskins mm-hmm. and so many, they did like some quick survey, 90% of Native Americans could care less. You know, what, I, I, what I do like the there, code talkers. Though. I just got to say, say it again. The code talkers. That's the the president of the Navajo Nation came out and suggested that'd be a good name, which I thought was pretty the cool. The code but, talkers. The code talkers, which I thought was cool. That's pretty cool. This is a name I thought was but cool. But like so often, there's this ah, this like forced compassion that's coming from yeah the not even the people who are suffering, and and not from mm-hmm. the people who are suffering with. 
Yep. You know, they're just this imposition of pity. And I, I guess I, I've never really understood it because yeah. it's just, it's kind of like the conversation we had only so many weeks ago that we've just got to first like be with people, love people. Like that sounds so basic and so hippie, but as soon as we're imposing even our yeah. pity on others and then forming like entire political platforms based on the perceived injustices and, and, and brokenness of yeah. others, it's like, actually, why don't we bring those people into leadership? Yep. Why don't we bring those people into the platform rather than you virtue signaling to the rest yep. of us and speaking on their behalf? It actually, it as actually, if you're a savior or something. Yeah, it actually is, it, it, you know, it takes away their dignity. It, it really does. does. To, you know, authentic compassion, you know, seeks to get your hands in the dirt alongside of them. And you want, yeah. you want the face of compassion, look at Mother Teresa. You want yeah. a face of compassion, look at St. Catherine Drexel. Yeah. You know, and so again, that, that we don't look as, you know, that we are a solution to the problem, yeah. but that we are a brother and sister called to help them carry their cross. Yeah. It's a very different approach. Yeah. And so th this virtue of compassion, we have to practice it. Mm. And the way we grow and develop and, and perfect compassion is, is by recognizing that we have gifts to bring to others, mm. but that we can't force them on them. Yeah. And that the first prompting of our heart, which is, is to feel sorrow, that, that we need to be willing then immediately to allow that prompting of our heart to enter in, to be with the other person, to listen. And that means even if they don't want us to be there, being willing to give them the dignity to say, okay, let me, I'm here when you need me. Yeah. You know, and this is in some ways, you know, for free society to work, there has to be an authentic sense of compassion. Mm. I mean, you know, for, for justice to work, to really will the good of the other, that there has to be this desire to help the other, even if they don't see in themselves. You know what I'm really excited you know? about right now? What's that? We've got five of these social virtues yes. to discuss. And actually what I'd love to do is talk about one more okay. and then say the next three for the next episode. Let's do it. Because like, I would much rather, if you're cool with it, kind of engage back and forth, ask you some questions and really dive into them. Can we do that? Let's do it. Otherwise we could just rattle off the next four, but there's a lot to be gained here for me personally. We talk about this art of being human. These are essential if that art of being human is going to actually involve relationship, actually going to involve family, community, and culture, you know? Yep. So this is great. Yeah, let's, let's, let's talk about one more than that that's so related and connected to compassion. So if, if compassion is, is willing to suffer with, is, is, is to be really you know, filled with compassion and desire to serve the others, if it's about sharing one another's joys and sufferings, and very often we don't talk about sharing their joys, but that's a part of compassion too. Mm is to celebrating the good things that happen to him without <sighs> feeling jealous about it. If you can't, yeah, I was gonna say, if you can't do it without jealousy, whew. Yeah, I know, or, or I mean, we all do it, right? Where, where our, our affect changes. I know. Yeah, it's embarrassing if it's on camera and like we're, <laughs> somebody gets an award and we didn't. <laughs> and rather than, you know, part of just sharing that joy, we obviously look like we're somehow hurt by the fact they were honored. I'm sure they practice this at the Grammys and the Academy oh, Awards, yeah. like they've got to have their fake Celebratory, ready to go. The, the like, humble how could you win. Not be a little disappointed, yep. you know. <laughs> the humble win and the humble loss is definitely a practice. <laughs> but the other one I'll say is, is is about a cooperation, this unity and working towards the common good mm. by working with others. And, and so what happens here is that if, if we if we have authentic compassion, then we have authentic cooperation in the sense that we recognize just means to good ends. Mm. And both are important, right? So you need to have good ends, uh, ends that are authentic, beautiful, and true, ends that actually address the suffering, ends that actually promote full human flourishing, right? And so it can't be just to solve the symptoms, mm. right? So for instance, like so much of the suffering today, the the problem is not about alleviating the acute pain of the suffering. Mm. That's not compassion. That's just that's just an application of technology. Yeah. 
right? True compassion is try to under, 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 you know, try to figure out what the underlying problem is that's leading to that symptom. And, and, and working with a person to, to alleviate and address that appropriately, that's authentic compassion. Think of the, you know, the story of, of, of the Samaritan, right? You know, he takes him on his own donkey, takes him to the inn, he pays for a few days, he tells the innkeeper to provide for him, and he really invests, and then he comes back and checks on him, like this, this beautiful thing, he tells the innkeeper, look, if he spends more than I've given you, I'll come back, I'll make good for it. I mean, there's a real desire to, to really enter into solving the problem. Well, this requires also the virtue of cooperation. Mm. And it's interesting because they really do relate to, with each other. If you are motivated by compassion, but you seek to impose your vision of what will alleviate the suffering without dialoguing with the person who is suffering what they want, then you're not actually following the virtue of cooperation. Mm. You're actually working as a community towards a common, common good and a common goal with others. So these two, I mean, as I look at, the current world we live in, as I look at our society today, I tend to be an optimist, despite the fact we probably live in a very dystopian, you know, dystopia. You know, we're like one chapter away from Hunger Games, but that's okay, <laughs> you know? So, but I tend to be an optimist, but I can tell you that the things I, I really see lacking is, is really a misguided sense of compassion mm. and a misguided sense of cooperation. Mm. Authentic cooperation is the virtue, is, is the disposition towards recognizing that very often for the goals that are gonna affect a large group of people, that that group of people needs to be part of creating that solution, mm. right? We can't impose it, we can't engineer it. It's actually about you know, the hard work necessary to actually create some of these outcomes. And that's not just a consensus rule, it's authentic cooperation saying, no, we'll, we'll, are the ends worthy of our pursuit? We'll actually redress the suffering, we'll actually solve the problem. You know, if, if our end, for instance, is never to suffer, that's a stupid end. Yeah. Because there is suffering in this life. Mm. If our end is is to make sure that that no one will ever be in any pain, that's a horrible end. You know, it really is because there's gonna be pain in life. You know, if, if we didn't have pain, I mean, you know, we, we wouldn't learn in the way that we were designed to. One of my favorite psychologists in town, he's, he's not quite the optimist that you and I are. He says that most of life is suffering. Oh, interesting. You know, yeah. Punctuated by moments of profound joy, but most of it is suffering. <laughs> and, and so, in so much as we can alleviate the root of that suffering where yeah. there's an injustice and, and, and to, yeah, address some of the acute symptom, you know, symptoms of it. But, but the idea is that we, the cooperation requires that you have this sort of just end and then a just means to achieve it. Mm. This is one of the challenges today is that we have some very good ends. Like, I mean, go through the, the socialism today, ending both personal individual racism and then also where it might be systemic and communal. Mm -hmm. That's a beautiful end. But the means to achieve that end can't be unjust. The means to achieve that end can't, can't bifurcate and split society. That's right. The means to achieve that end can't be just about a type of punitive justice mm. to, to punish the people who, whose ancestors did this. That, that's not a model. And it's interesting because if you look at the people who have really thought of this, they're not calling for any of that. They're, they're people of deep cooperation. Yeah. They're people who, who, who want to work together to solve some of these problems. Which is, again, what you saw in Martin Luther King. Which, yeah, you absolutely. Know? We saw in Martin Luther King. He would work with, it's interesting, his litmus test is really beautiful. I mean, he, he's very clear about this. His litmus test for, for who he would work with was if they wanted the same goal and if they agreed with his method of achieving that goal. Yeah. And his unique method was, was one of nonviolent but bold resistance to the face of injustice, right? Mm. And I realize there's probably a lot of people that think that wouldn't work today, and I understand that frustration, but there are other issues 
that that we that we know that this type of cooperation is so needed. I mean, mm. that's just a particular one today, but also just in the political discord and, and the breakdown of the family and, and some of the challenges that that we face as a nation about what it means to be free or what right should be protected and shrined by the government. You know, we have we have for the first time possibly in, in the history of our nation where the exercise of one person's free speech on one hand is criminalized by others who might see it as hate speech. Hmm. And to navigate and define that line is going to take the virtue of cooperation. Yeah. It's going to take the virtue of compassion on both sides, hmm. you know, to, 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 to be able to, to, to say, look, at the end of the day, let's try to discover what's good, beautiful, and true and live in accord with that hmm. without screaming, without, you know, it's a really honest view that we, we're in this together. Yeah. So, you know, empathy and cooperation are really virtues. They, they, they take time to develop. They take hard work and, and they build off God, you know, God's grace builds off the nature. I mean, God, God is willing and wants to help us with these, but he's going to help us with these by giving us opportunities to practice them. Yeah. Which probably doesn't involve social media, you know, I mean, that, that was part of the problem with quarantine and just this initial unrest that everybody felt after the, after the murder of George Floyd is like, everybody thought the best compassion and cooperation had to be exercised behind screens. It's just like so inhuman and so lacking in dialogue and real problem solving and real compassion because nobody's actually suffering at that point. They're just sort of blasting, you know? You know it was made, George Floyd's brother, I think did the most beautiful job mm. at the funeral. He gave an incredible eulogy for his brother, but he also focused it in on like the real essential problems. Yeah. And it was interesting because I, I watched and, and so many news and media outlets cut what was of substance of what he said. Yikes, yeah. So they included the pathos, the emotional appeal, which which demands some reaction, but they cut out what he described as the just end and the just means to achieve it. Mm. And it's beautiful. I mean, he, he outlines it. He said, you know, don't, don't let this death, you know, be an excuse for inaction and don't let this death be an excuse to burn our cities down. Yeah. He said, take that anger and direct it towards an outcome that we all want, that yeah. we all should want. Yeah. Doesn't matter. We should all want a more just and equitable society for all people. That's what mm. America is built on, and we're not mm. there yet. Mm-hmm. But of course, that that clip is cut it's right so in annoying. favor of of the, the the more you know impassioned, more pathos filled, right? You know, sadness the loss of his brother. And it is a, a both and, and that's part of what I love about even just diving into these five social virtues. It's three more to go: magnanimity, generosity, honor. For our next episode together, because there's an integration here mm-hmm. and there's a, a coming together of what often in the world feels mutually exclusive. Yep. It's part of false what I love. dichotomies. Yeah. That's right. That's what I love about every conversation I've ever had with you, Ryan. You don't fit into any of the boxes, and the world loves boxes and they love mm-hmm. that that bifurcation. So looking forward to continuing to sort of dive into these, maybe debunk some of the, the lie that, oh gosh, you know, social justice is either on one end, this sort of, I don't know, end all be all, you know, or on the other end, sort of something that is always in the way of uh, a true understanding of the gospel or whatever. Mm-hmm. You just see even within the church, this bifurcation, you certainly see in politics is bifurcation. And what you're inviting all of us into is an integration that is initially very personal yeah. and then yeah. familial and then communal. And then we keep going from there yep. until we've affected the, the culture at large. So. Excited to uh, continue going. Let's do it. Thanks, Ryan. Thank you. Now you treat me like a stranger 
Walked out of my life and changed my world today You made me your enemy Baby, I've been wrong before The battles we fought, I thought it was all in war Smoke crawls back, I lift my eyes All this time I was fighting for the wrong side You're listening to yet another featured track off of our Fireside Sessions Volume 1, available exclusively at lovegoodculture.com slash free. All right, another amazing episode with Dr. Ryan Hanning. Believe it or not, we've only got one more episode with him in Season 4 of the podcast. In fact, we're going to round out the podcast, this particular season of it anyways, on December 8th, and then move into a brand new bonus series before we launch season five. We'll tell you more about that at some point soon. But for now, I just want you to be the first to know that on Thursday, November 12th, we are doing a virtual event with the man himself, Jason Craig. All right, Jason, as you well know, was on the podcast all summer, well, at least for four or five episodes straight, helping us dive in to the favorite moments of his and mine in orthodoxy, the perennial work by G.K. Chesterton. Jason Craig helps run a amazing organization called Fraternus. And anybody who knows Jason knows that he's a man's man, all right? He's got a big beard. He likes slaughtering pigs for fun, but also for food. And he's raising a beautiful family. He's homesteading. And he's also a published author and a very, very dear friend of mine. All that to say, we've partnered. We, meaning Lovegood, has partnered yet again with Fraternus. And what that really means is I have partnered with my good friend, Jason Craig, to put on an event, a virtual event called Reclaim Fatherhood on Thursday, November 12th. All right, Thursday, November 12th from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern. All right, you can join myself and Jason for a virtual men's retreat, workshop, whatever you want to call it. We're getting together hundreds of men from all over the country, maybe even all over the world, to really dive in and and a world gripped by confusion to dive in to what it really means to live an authentic Christian masculinity. What, What does it really mean to reclaim our identity as men and even as fathers, even for people like me who aren't yet married, who do not yet have kids, that spiritual father fatherhood that the world is in such desperate need of. All that to say, I've been doing these events all over the country, basically until COVID hit. And then we had to cancel or postpone many of them, at least for now. Well, we don't want to just keep canceling and postponing. We want to pivot as Lovegood has done a beautiful job of for most of the past six months. And now we're pivoting with Reclaim Fatherhood as well. So all that to say, tickets are $15. That gives you full access and forever access to this amazing virtual retreat for men. All you got to do is go to reclaimfatherhood.com, get signed up today. There's going to be incredible talks from myself and from Jason and a real opportunity to dive into small group conversations with your friends and with other men from all over the country as well. So again, 
be the first to sign up, go to reclaimfatherhood.com. It's only $15, which again, gives you full and forever access to this amazing, amazing virtual retreat, this virtual conference. We don't know what to call it, but it's gonna be an epic night together again on Thursday, November 12th. All right, we'll tell you more about that next week because guess who's coming back onto the podcast? Yes, you guessed right. Jason Craig himself. Until then, have a wonderful week. Stay classy wherever you find yourself. And, you know, stay sane in these crazy times. I do believe, I do believe the best is yet to come. Massive thanks for tuning in to the Love Good Podcast. If you like this week's episode, and frankly, even if you didn't, share it on social media, leave us a review on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, and then join us on the front lines of building a better culture by subscribing as a patron at joinlovegood.com. Our patrons get all kinds of incredible exclusive content, such as a weekly long form video of the podcast, a monthly live stream house concert with our artists, and a seasonal package that will raise your standard for music, books, and art forever. Thanks again for tuning in. It's an honor to accompany you as you change the world.